how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. To infinity and beyond! Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? It's classified. You talking to me? I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. I can't lie! Expecto Patronum! Entertainment X. You never know what you're going to get. For this episode, I sit down with Michael Kuman and Chris Diamond, and it's a wonderful conversation. These guys share the beginning of their collaboration together, um, how they've gotten better at collaborating, the human connection in writing stories and music, what they've got better at in terms of negotiating and having these conversations when having to use that other part of the brain in pitching their projects, not just creating and finding that balance in life on all things music and theater. This conversation is wide-ranging, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did having the conversations with Michael Kuman and Chris Diamond. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me, in person, Michael Kuman, Chris Diamond. Kuman and Diamond, yes. this is exciting, guys. Thank you for sitting down with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Yes, I have. It's, it's wonderful because I've seen and heard your work now for a number of years, you know, being in theater, and it's really fun to meet you and understand where that comes from for you and what that means to you guys. So. I'd love to get right into this. What, when, when did the collaboration begin for you two? What did that look like? Well, uh, so Chris and I both went to Carnegie Mellon University. I was a music major, so I was like studying, music composition major, so I was like studying like string quartets and uh, choral music and orchestral music, and I was uh, sort of just like wanting to like write musical theater, and uh, thankfully, Carnegie Mellon had this great theater program, so I started like taking classes in there. I started accompanying there for some of their productions. And this one class that we had was this uh, libretto writing class, and Chris was in it. it. It was called libretto, but like as we all know, as musical theater experts here, uh, libretto is uh, the, the book, but except it was a lyric writing class for whatever reason. It was a mis mistitled class. All right. Um, <laughs> but we met there. Chris had some great lyrics in that in that class um and i just like admired his lyrics i thought they were funny and witty and like a little bit naughty and i after after we took this class together i asked him if he wanted to start working together on something and we started writing like little little ditties um and then we started writing musicals and then we sort of moved to new york together around the same time and uh -huh. we've now written like 10 musicals and and uh, here we are yeah in the heart of new york Mm -hmm. What um what was the first thing you guys worked on? What was that? Was it a story? Was it a song? Was it a We worked musical? on a number of, of self-contained songs. It was actually a, a fundraising project for the the senior musical theater majors at, oh, at great. CMU. Um so we kind of in our first meeting, the, the first time we ever really talked with in any depth, we kind of sat down at a, a coffee shop in Pittsburgh and just threw out ideas that we had for for songs that we thought might be fun or, or funny or interesting. Um, and so we came up with with three or four that we immediately started working on, one of which um, was a, an idea we had that we, we thought was was funny um, for a song that was a, a song of complaint for uh, an actress who is tired of being cast as the token black girl in every musical. And so that song became Random Black Girl, which we, we wrote for our classmate, Bettina Miller, at the time. So we thought it would be really fun to write a song for her. So that was one of the first songs that we wrote together was that. Are you serious? Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which which ended up, you know, getting us a, a decent amount of exposure on you when that video of her performing it uh, <laughs> <laughs> went went up on YouTube uh, and and all of her subsequent success obviously got it a lot of attention. So yeah, yeah, because that was actually like the year two thousand and six, I think. So that like we were like one of actually twenty videos on YouTube back then. No, I'm teasing, yeah. but like you know what I mean. It was like early enough <laughs> that I feel like we put the video up at the right time, mm -hmm. um, because like yeah. it just wasn't there wasn't that many mu new musical theater. I mean, I think like there was a, a bit of a wave if you remember, like in the mid aughts, shall we call them, where like you know Kerrigan and Loudermilk and like Joe Iconis and all these people started putting uh, all their stuff up on YouTube because before that there wasn't a great way to find new 
musical theater writers um, that had not had a work on Broadway. You know, yeah. it's just it's just like because of all this like social media and the way it's uh, the way you can put your stuff up now. It's just like so much better for for young writers who haven't yet had that like. Broadway show that had a 14 million capitalization, um, you know, because it's so hard to get there. So we we, we certainly took YouTube uh, and took advantage of it. Okay. Okay. So according to the web, you, Michael, are music and Chris, your book and lyrics. Yes. But there is cross-pollination. Definitely. You you both play instruments or is it like, I'm just curious what that is. Sure. Uh, I I would not say that I play. I, <laughs> okay. I sometimes hold instruments and and make sound out of them, but not <laughs> in a way guitar. that I, I I do, but not in a way that anyone would enjoy listening to other than myself. Okay. So uh, it's not that yeah, bad. Michael is is far more the the skilled musician. But there is there is a lot of back and forth. It is very collaborative. Um, you know, the longer we've worked together, the more cross pollination there is. Yeah. yeah. Part of it is like. Um, you know, it takes a while to get super comfortable with somebody. I mean, it is a certain kind of relationship that we have, you know? It's like we're sitting in a room with each other at this point, like four to six hours a day just writing. Um, and we found that the best way to write is really just to sit in the same room and do it. Um, and that means like, okay, I'll come up with a melody for a chorus. I'll give it to him. He's playing with it. And he's like, I need like two more syllables in the second line because I just can't say anything with the four syllables you gave me. And I'm like, okay, let me see if I can expand that to, to a couple more syllables. Um, you know, it's, it's a back and forth. And then, I'll, you know, he'll write something. And I'll be like, I love this lyric, but the way that this, the way this word falls on the melody feels weird. Can we just like come up with another word? And so can we, is there another two syllable word for happiness or something that we can use uh but just because of the way that you know we're just trying to like there's so many weird things we're thinking about but i I do think being in the same room and sort of like bouncing that idea off of each other is is the best way to do it and you know chris similarly can be like he's like sometimes he'll just be like this is like too slow for this moment or this this feels like like we're writing songs now for a kids show and on television and chris one of the notes was like he's like i think this is just not kid enough. Like this, this is not youthful enough. And I'm like, okay, that's great. What can I do to adapt this? You know, it's this. It's sort of like an immediate back and forth. I don't know if that exactly was your question, but it that, is. But it's just like it's it's become something that like we both comment on each other's work and get that feedback immediately and just sort of like go back and forth until we have a full song. Really, yeah, that's incredible. Do you guys? Um are you, okay, so do you, I guess we'll go back to like starting out together. Did you guys have goals in terms of, you know, we're collaborating, we want to create a show? Or was it just a song cycle situation or just single songs and you're like, oh, you know, maybe we should take a whack at a show? Yeah, the, the first the first project that we worked on together was was mostly self-contained cabaret songs that sort of became a, a song cycle called Homemade Fusion. And then, uh, yes. so that was in my first year of graduate school was when we first started collaborating. Yeah. And then the second year of the playwriting program at, at CMU, you're required to write a thesis project, your thesis play. And um, I was fortunate enough to, to convince um, the, the head of the playwriting program to allow me to write my thesis project as a musical. Uh, and Michael yeah. had graduated there in, in 2006. And I also, um, convinced him to stick around in Pittsburgh for an extra year in order to collaborate on a, a full musical since we had never done that before. Yeah. Um, so that became the first actual book musical that we wrote together, which is a show called Danny Girl. Mm. Okay. And then you had, um, so putting, okay, so you started on YouTube, right? You put, that was that the, that's the initial foray into the public domain for you guys. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't sheet music or no. something along those lines. No. It was all YouTube. And then was there a quick discussion? I mean, you can add to that quick discussion of like, oh, we should we should get this out, you know? Yeah, I mean, we got like questions, you know, f- from like YouTube uh, comments or you know like messages that were like, what? How do we get the sheet music? And at a certain point, we were like, well, we need to like figure this out. And you know, honestly, we had no idea how to do it. Um, we just like put a button on our website, and we were like, there was a point where we were just like manually sending sheet music, if you can imagine, like you print it. Um, no, no, I don't think we actually, I don't think we ever printed it. We always did it digitally, but but I'm saying like, whereas, you know, like now you click on music notes and it'll just send it to you immediately or give you a download link. We we were like sending it 
you know, we were like totally the musical theater version of a mom and pop store. Yeah. We were like, oh, okay, I'll send it directly to this person. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like part of this thing is like, you know, we both love writing songs. We both love writing musical theater, but like it's a different thing entirely to figure out how to like make a living doing it. Yeah. Um, so for example, I mean, yeah, like putting it up on YouTube was great back then. We didn't realize that there would be people who would want to perform our songs, you know? Yeah. And so we figured out a way to put it in sheet music. And then we were like, oh, we can put an accompaniment track here as well and make that available. Um, you know, it's just sort of like figuring out, I, I, I hate to be like a millennial here and be like, but like figuring out how to monetize the work that we do yeah. was a completely different thing than, it's a completely different skill than writing and being able to write. Um, mm. So yeah, part of our journey is just like, you know, first of all, trying to get better at writing and trying to write a lot of shows and write, write a lot of songs, but also figure out how to make a living in this industry. It's kind of like tough, but yeah. there are ways to do it. Yeah. Was that always the thought that you wanted to make a living? you know, doing that in this industry? That was always the goal. Yeah, uh, yeah certainly. Um, we, I think I speak for both of us when I said we always wanted to write and to, to write the, the kind of stuff that we want to write and to, yeah. you know, support ourselves through that. Um, it's, that's the dream, really. It's certainly not easy to do, and there have been discouraging moments along the way. But, um, you know, starting out, I, I think we had big dreams and that yeah. kept those... I tempered those with realistic expectations, um, yeah. but have step by step found a way to, to carve out a living in it, which has been really, um, we both feel incredibly blessed and fortunate to be able to do. Yeah. With those ups and downs, you know, when you have a dip or valley, so to speak, mm -hmm. the, the conversation to keep going, to push through it, this is a meant to be situation, or is that, you know, was that ever a conversation or was kind of like, no, like, duh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't know that there was ever that we ever had a conversation about stopping really um that it, it was always about how to keep going through the the challenges that that come up you know and that's one one of the many nice things about having a collaborator is you've always got someone to to boost you up when you you do have those those difficult moments yeah. um so yeah for us it, it, I don't know that it was ever really a question it was a matter of how do we do this um, and what do we need what may we need to do along the way to, to support it yeah. but um, you know even in in the dark times I, I don't know that we ever really You're like, We're thought quit. about yeah <laughs> no, about like, quitting the not, business or anything yeah but even being flexible and changing your expectations or like uh, I don't know if there's a particular story or moment where you had that realization and opened up mm -hmm. you know, a whole series of opportunity or Totally. I mean, I, I don't know if it's a specific situation, but I, I, at, cer at a certain point, like, I think when we started writing and, and this whole, like, putting things up and, and creating a website and doing all that stuff, we realized that we had a lot of agency in our own career and that we had to um, produce our own work until people wanted to produce it. You know, we had to, which includes putting that stuff up on YouTube, but also making albums and doing concerts. Um, so there's a certain amount of like entrepreneurialness that I feel like when we didn't have work or we weren't getting a lot of income, we were just like, okay, well, let's create the next project. Let's not wait for someone to produce our work. Let's not wait for someone to put up a, uh, a cabaret of our work. Let's not wait to get a commission. Like, let's write the show or let's create this album. Um... Yeah, I think that's, I mean, my dad is an entrepreneur and I feel like I inherited this like entrepreneurial spirit from him. Um, so I, there's a something there's something about that that I feel like, I mean, I, I do feel like the cool thing about where what we're doing today is you have the ability to make a living in a lot of different ways um, in the music industry. Um, the, the bad thing is that, you know, it, it takes a lot of self motivation, I think, to do it. Yeah, it and that, I mean, that's, I think probably a lot of your listeners are actors. I think the same, I, that's something I always talk about with actors. I say, make your own cabaret. Like, don't wait to get cast in something, you know, just like put your own show together, get your own materials out there and um, write your own show. I mean, if you maybe, and if you're not a writer, you know, team up with a writer, have someone write you a song or a, mm. a little show, do a, do a cabaret. I think, um, there's something about like just the self-motivating part that is both hard but also inspiring to me. Just because I, I think I really just want to write. I just love it and I love doing it. So there's a part of that that inspires me to release an album or to write a new show or do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And along the journey, you know, with the two of you, 
has it gotten easier or have moments occurred that have like opened up the floodgates to make take bigger chances to make bigger mistakes and have bigger successes totally um so we just wrote three seasons of the show called Vampirina on the Disney Channel, um, which was like awesome and totally like life changing. And it was just like so awesome in so many different ways. It was also very hard. Uh, it's Why? completely it's a completely do different industry, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons, but if I had to break it down to like two or three, I would say the the big thing is that you're in theater as a writer, you own your work and you kind of have the last say on your work. Yeah. Whereas if you're writing for a television show, um, there are a lot of people that have to approve this, you know, for many reasons. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, just even from the fact that like, uh, you know, there's standards and practices on, yeah. <laughs> on that well, you have especially to the bigger the company. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a certain amount of like, uh, I think what's awesome about television though, it, is it teaches you to be be able to rewrite really, really quickly. And it teaches you not to be precious about your work because like you get notes and you're like, oh my gosh, what is this? And then you go back, you mourn your song a little bit and then you write something else and you're like, yeah, actually maybe this song is better than the one that I wrote before, you know? Mm. It teaches you to um, just think differently about it. But it's also hard because our, 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 sh our, our work with Vampirina, we had to both write but also produce all of the tracks. So we're, we became producers really you know music yeah. producers which is a different term in theater than it is in you know music as in i'm in charge of uh nurturing the orchestrations uh to being created filtering notes about all the musical things to the the orchestrators and the audio mixers um but also like being in charge i had to be in every uh recording session when they're singing a song uh on the voiceover artist side but we live in New York, so we had to Skype into it a lot. Yeah. It's just, it's, it became a completely different beast than we had ever done before. I mean, it's all awesome. It's so oh, cool. Yeah. Such great skills that, yeah. it, that I mean, I, I, I can't believe Disney took a chance on us, honestly. Um, but it, it was life-changing. Um, uh, but, like, you were asking, like, when, like, when it became possible to take chances. And I think after we did that... We, you know, we had written 150 songs for this Vampirina show. And then we had a show that was in Seattle, The Noteworthy Life of Howard Barnes. Yeah. And it had a world premiere. And it's like this show we had been working on for eight years. And like, it's just a crazy weird show. It's like off the wall. It's super, hopefully funny, if, if I may say. And uh, we, ha we, we, we were suddenly faced with this prospect of like, we've worked so hard in the show. We finally got this amazing production no what is going to happen with it we were like in this day and age we need to record it or else it's going to be lost you know like there's a world in which like this show could just like be this amazing production will never be remembered or whatever yeah. and so after we did these three seasons of, of vampirina we were like you know what let's just take a chance and like self-produce and make this album um, it's, it, you know, it was costly, but also it was just like so much work because, you know, it, it's a huge show. It's like 16 people. It's that we had a 10 person orchestra. And then, um, you know, so we we're, we're like mixing like, you know, what, 26 tracks, you know, um, we had so many takes. I, I don't know. It, it, it just like, I, I, this album was, I'm so freaking proud of it it just also took so much out of us because like it was it was just like all we were in charge of both like the everyday small little tiny things but also the overall artistic decisions that yeah. we're making you know what i mean so like whether it was good or bad was all on us and it was also just a, a bit of a risk but we were like we need to get this out there you know like the, the kind of thing these days is like you just have to get your work out there that's you know, who, you know, I want people who live in Japan or uh, the UK to be able to find this show because I really think it's a, a great representation of what we do. And it's also very contrasting to the Vampirina work we did. Um, so anyway, after about, did you, did you like that 17 minute answer that I just gave? I did. Like, I can go back and I can continue. <laughs> He's loving it. <laughs> He's loving it. No, Chris knows go. I just never go. talk this long. Like, I'm just, I'm just a little quiet Nancy over here, usually. Quiet Nancy, that's that is you. That I'm that, a quiet just, Nancy. That's, you in that's a nutshell for sure. Yeah, that's what that's what Chris calls me. <laughs> that's definitely not quiet what Nancy. I call him for the record. <laughs> you know, just because, just because. Uh, what? So why the noteworthy life of Howard Barnes? 
what was the what was the inception? What was the thought? Michael, do you want to you want to yeah, okay. talk for another okay. 15 if minutes? If you're listening, <laughs> just fast forward 17 more minutes cuz I'm going to give a real long answer. No, I'm going to make you take this one first. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> reluctantly, I I will interrupt your monologue. Um so when we started writing this show, we were really looking for a project. Um, the first couple of m- musicals that we wrote were kind of dark comedies and dealt with really heavy subject matter in sort of unexpected ways. And that was really exciting to us. Um, but we were looking to do something entirely different yeah. with this next one. So we were kicking around ideas, basically looking for something that would make a great elevator pitch that would also make a great musical. Yeah. Um, and some, somehow we stumbled upon the idea of what would happen if somebody woke up one day to discover that his or her life had become a musical? Um, and so that was the germ of the idea that became the noteworthy life of Howard Barnes. We thought it was, it was a, a concept that provided for the opportunity for a lot of comedy. We were both very drawn to, to using humor in, in various ways. I think it's a big part of both of our lives and, and the work that we like to do. Um, so we really, really liked the comedic conceit of that. Yeah. Um, but we knew that it could very easily be a funny sketch that wouldn't sustain a full 90-minute musical. So we, we worked really hard to dig into what was beneath that idea and what would sustain that, that show for a whole evening. Um, and I think what, what really kind of was the moment that we, we felt like we had something is when we discovered the heart of the piece um, and figured out what was going on in this man's life that music represented and that this metamorphosis was was trying to get at and was trying to push uh, him towards. Um, did it so, take a while to get that? It did take a while, yeah. It, it took um, at least a couple of drafts. I mean, this is a show that we we developed for a really long time before it premiered. You know, we worked on it for, for basically 10 years uh, before mm-hmm. it's had its world premiere. Um, and so, you know, you can see, I think, in those early stages, you can see the genesis of that idea. You can see sort of the the beginnings and the seeds of it. But it took us a, a while before we really clearly saw, oh, this is what the show is about. Um, and I think that's that's at least common for us, that we n- don't necessarily know what we're writing about until we've really started to write it. You know what I mean? You have an idea for something and you churn out a draft before that process kind of drives you toward the discovery of what it is you're actually trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also curious then, cause, and I've, you know, I've heard the term before. Um, I'm curious if you use it, you know, having like your trunk of music, you mm-hmm. know, and you have maybe a trunk of stories and thoughts and characters and ideas and vice versa. Um, how much of that is put in, you know, or was put in to this, you know, were there songs that you wrote, you know, a year ago and you're like, Oh, it's much better in this show than, a single or whatever. We don't usually do that that much, actually. Like, for us, I think, at least these days, I'm trying to be, like, inspired by the what I'm working on. You know what I mean? Like, Sure, yeah. I, I would say there, there was only one time recently that we, like, th- threw away a melody and then, like, reused it entirely. But yeah. I, I try to be, like, okay, what is this piece about? Like, what are the, what kind of, like, emotions or, like, what am I visualizing for this piece? trying to find a sound for a piece you know and when I'm doing that I'm really trying to like let the piece and the characters inspire me and and because of that I I'm less likely to pull from from an old melody or an old uh story just because I feel like I don't I you know what listen this is what we do like this is like you know if, if I can write a good melody on Monday hopefully I can write a good melody on Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like, so (laughs) like, I I mean, I'm not super worried that I'm, I'm going to run out of ideas or that I'm, I I mean, it doesn't mean they're all going to be good, you know, but Mm I'm, I'm, I'm more inspired by like, what am I working on right now? And like, what is my mindset right now? How can I write consistent worlds within the musicals that I'm writing right now? What can I, how can I push myself right now? Chris, what are your, I, I would say, you know, that it, a lot of why that, doesn't happen a lot to us has to do with one of the the things that we both really agree on about the process of writing a musical is that the the story should determine what the songs are so typically when we write a song for a piece it is very very specific to that particular moment in that show and so it makes it very difficult then to extract that either entirely or to and especially to put it in another 
show itself. Because, you know, another thing that we we really believe in and and strive for in our career is to not repeat ourselves and to not write two things that are that are similar. So a lot of the projects we've chosen to work on are pretty contrasting to another. So it would be it would be really hard to take a a song out of one show or write a song for show, decide that it didn't work. And then to just plop it down into the middle of another show um, would be quite rare quite coincidental that that would work out yeah now it makes more sense now that you say it because listening to like the large variety of stuff you've created it doesn't all sound the same it sounds like it was written by different people which is right oh thank you that's, that's the right thing that's yeah. quite a compliment that's what we want yeah. <laughs> you're welcome we, yeah we want to be a bit of a chameleon you know what i mean yeah. music, that's the coolest part about being a musical theater writer as opposed to like maybe being a pop writer or a country writer or or any other kind of songwriter is that like we get to transport ourselves and hopefully our audiences to like maybe we're going to France in the mid 1800s or something and we let that kind of setting and tone inspire our work or you know we're going to write like a just a belty pop song for this this number um mm. it's it's just fun to like give yourself over and go wholeheartedly into a different genre. Cause I think it's just really fun. That, that, that to me is the most exciting part. Like not just telling stories, but being like, what is this world that I'm working in? What is, we're just doing it. We just started a new show. Um, that is on a, is going to be on a streaming platform that, uh, you all have heard of, <laughs> but, uh, we cannot announce it yet. Okay. But the cool thing about it is, is, uh, it's very, the showrunner was like, I want, to live in the musical world of John Williams, you know, the classic composer of like Star Wars okay. and Jurassic Park and yeah. all of these uh, amazing scores. And I was like, that is so cool. Like, let me see. I want to like immerse myself in John Williams and see where my sensibility in musical theater sensibility meets John Williams, you know? And and so I'm super excited about this project right now because I get to explore a completely different um, world, a completely different like sonic world. And, and again, like, I, I thankfully I have these tools that I learned as a composition major to be able to like go to all these other places, which I I feel really lucky to have. Um, but I also I'm just I'm so excited to like just um, be in this world for a little bit of this like sweeping orchestral uh, cinematic cinematic yeah. kind of world, like which I would never happen at. <laughs> you know, musicals, they're like, hey, can you do that with a band of four? And I'm like... Uh, Make it catchy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay. Right, right. Uh, can we do it with all just like actors who also play their instruments so we don't have to pay for a band? I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I know that, exactly what you that's mean. That's the kind of constraints we get in theater, but, you know, it's cool to work in that world for television. Yeah. What's your, yeah, what's your homework process? You're doing a lot of research before you create or even put pen to paper or finger to keyboard, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on on the project, I would say. Um, yeah, but at sort of early on in the process, we like to sort of try to figure out what our influences are for that particular project and spend some time figuring out what the sound or, or what the tone of a particular piece is. And so it's helpful to really immerse yourself in other examples of that and to find touchstones that you can use or, or point to as general directions where of where to go yeah and then you know obviously depending on the subject matter there there's a lot of research you may need to do in order to kind of really make sure you're well versed enough in the material to be able to write about it of course yeah i mean specific to this john williams thing like i made a a spotify playlist of all the john williams stuff that i love and like the ones that feel the most iconic but also the ones that like i I mean i i like used to just listen to john williams all the time so it was like kind of crazy that like i'm going back to this world but i and then i just like i had uh, a phone call with my orchestrator and i was like okay I did sort of like a page essay of like, here are the things that I think keep coming back in John Williams' work. Like, um, he has these like really great brass ostinatos that happens like, that's the Olympic fanfare theme that he wrote for the 1996 Olympics. Um, but that, you know, he does the same kind of like fanfare thing in Jurassic Park. Oh, Star Wars. Star Wars, oh, yeah. you know? I, and so I broke it down. I was like, here are some like, here's like eight things orchestrationally that I, that keep coming back that I think make us feel like this orchestration is John Williams. Uh, and I was like, let's keep that in mind. But the cool thing about it is also, it's not like a hundred, the work that we're coming up with is not a hundred percent John Williams. It's like, it's John Williams meets us our, our sensibility. And it's also like, it's, 
I don't know how to explain it. It's like it, we intended to write like, oh, full out John Williams, but we're finding the the, the tone is uh, a, like a John Williams tangent. You know what I mean? Like John Williams adjacent, let's say, because um, to, in order to tell our story that we're telling with this uh, in a musical way, we can't do full out that. It has to be a little bit. The, the, the show itself is a little more silly and fun. Yeah. And John Williams is just awesome but it's very adult and it's very serious if that makes sense so yes. we're finding this different tone as we continue to write this stuff i'm focusing on this project right now but it, it's just something i'm really excited about and it's, it's like we're it's it's in the sort of like young stage so it's it's sort of right in my head right now that's so such an interesting parallel to like learning a dialect you know yeah. if you learn the r's and the the vowels or whatever you can once you have that you can say anything mm. and you're speaking with an Irish accent or whatever, mm. you know? So it's like that with, the, it's very interesting. As long as you hit those touchstones or those settings and effects or whatever, it's mm. like you write any melody you want. Oh, I, I love it. I, I've never studied a dialect. I mean, that's I mean, so crazy. I'm like, a, we're just writers when I'm like, I was thinking, just other, we're just writers. <laughs> you guys create jobs. Do you know that? <laughs> I hope so. But I was, the other day I was thinking, I was like, what? I was like, we were, there's, there's this line in one of the songs eyes of the museum and I was thinking on the way home after we wrote it, I was like wait isn't there a different way to say like the and the like what are the rules isn't it LPA yeah. what, is, what is that rule it's like sometimes you say the like eyes of the museum or eyes of the like I don't know which one is correct don't give me do you a know? lion. You, you don't you don't know okay but I was like I remember like an actor I worked with like was like well, it would be this if it's this and I'm like wow I don't have any idea how that works the rules of L is it's LPA right like the is that what it's called, Christopher? Do we all not know this? I don't know the specifics so. <laughs> on that. Um, oh my God, I love I, it. I'm the, the nice composer thing, and I know it. Uh, the nice thing about when you're writing for, for musical theater is that the rules don't necessarily, in terms of grammar, don't necessarily need to apply if the yeah. character would not speak necessarily with with proper grammar. So I tend to ignore that one entirely and just go on what, what feels right to the character to say. How how have you gotten better at writing like lyrics and story and getting in the character's mind and writing from a place that's not maybe your own necessarily? Has it gotten easier? Are there tricks that you use? Uh, it's hard to it's hard to really articulate it. I think in, in a way it is. You know, I, I started out in theater as an actor, and so I, I think that is a helpful background to have because it really is sort of immersing yourself in the character and trying to like you were talking about studying a dialect and sort yeah. of figuring out wrapping your mouth around the way a person speaks. Yeah. I think it really is partly just getting that voice in your head and being able to communicate through that character. Um, so you, you start off, I, yeah. I tend to start off thinking kind of broader in terms of what the plot is um, and the structure of the story and then figuring ways into the character's heads as they actively pursue their goals. Um, and, you know, sometimes it takes a while to figure out exactly what a character's voice is. But once you get it, like, as you said, once you wrap your mouth around those like R's and, and the L's or whatever yeah. it is, it, it sort of just flows. Is that a lot of journaling for you? Or is that a lot of pre-writing? Or does it depend on, depend on the story sometimes? It does. I, I, tend to, I tend to overwrite a lot early on. As, as thing, uh, right? I think that's <laughs> the, the only real way to discover... Yeah. who those characters are is is to write them and to put yourself in in their heads and see where they go you know i it's interesting now now that you're you're forcing me to to articulate it i think <laughs> sorry no 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 it's I, it's really helpful because i think it's more natural than a lot of people think because i think that's what we do when we're kids if you've ever watched a child play in any way oh, yeah. it's it, it's the exact process they're they're just improvisatory actors you know they're they're making up stories and they're playing characters and I think for me personally I, I just never stopped doing that it just sort of channeled its way into writing so it's almost something that that I don't necessarily um, think about even consciously it, it just sort of happens you know it's a, that process of finding the bit of yourself that is within that character finding where you and the character meet and then seeing where that takes you it's so interesting yeah, and that makes so much sense. You know, as a kid, it's like it's like revisiting um, the youthful creativity yeah. that people can lose. You know, if you don't focus on it, I guess if you just kind of let it go. That's so. Yeah. Sorry. Was there you gonna add? Um, no, I was just gonna say yeah. It's like a lot of playing around. I mean, I I don't think it's different that much different from being an actor and like trying to figure out like I 
like your way in to the character, right? Like yeah. you've got to figure out how you relate to this character. I think I, I think Chris said it well. Yeah, you have to have some empathy, even if it's a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> you got to figure out what keeps Absolutely. them ticking. Uh huh. Otherwise, you can't truthfully portray it on stage, on paper, yada yada. Human communication. I'm curious what you guys have learned. So this is like a two-parter. We'll start with just human communication in writing. Has writing music, you know, writing lyrics, writing these stories, has that made you better communicators? Definitely. I mean, I I would actually, the first thing that I think of is like when we've had to teach musical theater writing to people. Like, because suddenly like this like shorthand that we have with each other is something that we have to then really like lucidly articulate to these people who translate. Yeah. Like we're like, wait, 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 why do we do this? Like why are, why are rhymes important in, 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 um, uh, musical theater writing? Why are perfect rhymes important? Like weird concepts that you don't even think about, like just because we do them all the time, we're like having to then articulate that and just sort of like doing that. But also like, you know, the, you know, the crazy thing about, again, your, your question was, whether writing affects it, but it's more so for me in teaching, but also, um, you know, some of these recording sessions that we do, it's sometimes it's really hard to talk about music to people that haven't met necessarily studied it super duper in depth. I believe it. Um, so sometimes translating musical concepts to a, to someone who isn't thinking musically, you know, cause like if, especially if you've been trained in music, like, you know what back phrase means or something like that, yeah. you know? Um, uh, it's, it's, it's like kind of like, I'm, I'm like, you know, I, I have to figure out a way to, you know, maybe a, there's like, there's a bunch of kids on Vampirina, you know? They might not know what the term back phrase is or they might not know what the term um, like staccato or something like that is. Sure. And it's just sort of like learning how to sp- speak uh, in a way, like translate. It's just sort of like translating to a non-musical language to if, if that makes sense that makes a whole that makes a ton of sense yeah. yeah yeah has how okay so along that vein of communication uh how have you guys gotten better at i mean i want to use the word like negotiating but it is a two-part business you are sit here in a completely safe space create openly any idea is a good idea until it's not and then you have a new idea and it's just an open space and then you have to take that you know to a boardroom or someone who's going to represent you and you have to almost have a second I see it as a second, you know, brain switch. Has that gotten easier? What is that balance for you? Yeah, I or think anything? it's, it's um, well, a couple things come to mind w- when you bring that up. I mean, I think our personal collaboration has really developed over time. And, and the more comfortable we've gotten with each other, the better we've gotten to know each other, the more open that communication is and the easier it is to be, to be open and vulnerable um, and to give each other really honest feedback, which is a critical part of the process. Uh, the next step, I think, is always then bringing in whoever the other collaborators on the project are, and that yeah. can be difficult, uh, particularly for us, since we have such a long-standing partnership in terms of our writing process. Yeah. Um, we may be working on a project with a, a writer, with another writer, or with a director, or a team of designers who don't have that sort of relationship with us. You know what I mean? So it's a little, it's sometimes tricky to navigate a new relationship when you know ours is so established um, and then the the process of uh, i think what you're getting at if i'm understanding you correctly is then how do we sort of take that artistic idea and, and sell it or or yeah. pitch it to someone else and yeah. that's that's an entirely separate skill set uh, and one that we've really worked to develop and to get better at and i think I, I think we're still trying to figure out how to to get better at it but i think part of what's um most key about it, what we've really learned is one, to not be afraid to be passionate about our work and to really believe in our work and to put forward what we are most passionate about it and that that will translate hopefully to someone else. Because when you are pitching to to a producer or to an executive or whoever you're, you're pitching to, mm-hmm. even you know a director, I think the trap is for your goal to be just to sell the project or to to get someone to to buy into it. Um, and a lot of times it's that's not necessarily the most important thing. The most important thing is to to find another collaborator who 
believes in your project and who is the right person to shepherd that project or to take that project to the next step. Um, and so you really, I think, want to honestly communicate what the project is, what it is that you're excited about by it, um, and to then find other people who have similar sensibilities and a similar passion for whatever it is you're trying to say. Um, so figuring out how to do that um, is not easy. And no. I, I don't know that there's a, you know, a, a, a quick or easy answer as to how to do it, but it's something that we constantly work on, constantly practice, and, and are really trying to, to always get better at. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't want to lose the authenticity that you have in this room right. when you take it to the suits. And that's like, it's not taught. That's just not a taught thing. Totally. Finding that balance. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I, I think part of it is understanding the language they speak as well. Um, yeah. we, have our, we have an artistic language. Sometimes they have a business language. And to, to understand that, like to sell it in those terms... I, I, I think of it less as so uh, as that. I mean, when you ask the question, I more so thought of like how I handle um, uh, the communication within a collaborative process, sure. especially like out, especially in theater, because I find that you know within television, there's a much there's a really strict hierarchy as to what like who's in charge and, and what notes need to be taken and what notes don't need to be taken. Yeah. But in, in theater, you're usually doing something that you're super duper passionate about. At least us, we don't really write a musical unless we're super duper passionate about it in some way. And then we've worked on it for years. And then suddenly we're in the rehearsal room and this director's in charge making decisions. It's like, you, you know, we got to pick our battles, but we also have to, I think part of our journey is finding the courage to, say the thing that may be an uncomfortable thing to say, but needs to be said. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if the comedy is coming out in this scene. I think, you know, I think the staging is getting in the way of the comedy or I'm not sure this is the right person to cast or I'm not sure this person is. There's so many, there's an unending amount of like weird creative things that, um, the way I like to think of it is like just having candor, you know, with somebody, not like candor and ebb, but just having like artistic, <laughs> <what> <laughs> sure. just having artistic candor, you know, and, and yeah. just not being afraid to be like, gosh, I just think the, I think the choreography is really m messing up this scene in a way. I mean, I wouldn't put it that way, but I, I would be like, I'm, I'm having trouble understanding what's going on in this scene because the choreography feels really busy to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like not being afraid to actually address the things that need to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. And leaving ego at the door. Yeah. Which I imagine you get better at cultivating, you know, the people you want to be around. Totally. Absolutely. Do you? Yeah. I well, yeah, I, I think that's that's really key. This business is all about relationships, you know, and, and finding people who you connect with and who you have similar sensibilities with and who you love to create with. Um, that's I often think about, you know, the reasons at least I got into theater in the first place or my favorite things about early theatrical experiences had nothing to do with the show itself or the performance. You know, it was right. about the, the friendships. You got into it because it was fun to do and you got to be around a bunch of people that you liked. Uh, and I think that that's still really true and, and very easy to lose sight of once you start doing something professionally and once money starts getting involved, you know. But it, I think it's incredibly important to find people that you work together with really well and that you can have those honest, open conversations with, some of which may be difficult at times. But, you know, the really, I, I think what you said about checking your ego at the door is kind of the, the, the most important thing to keep in mind and that it's, it's not about ego. It's not about anything personal. If everyone is on the same team trying to create the best product possible, the best show, the best musical possible, yeah. And if that's everybody's focus, everyone from, from the ground floor up is thinking about what decisions here make the most sense to tell this story the way we want to tell it, then it becomes much less about you than it is about the show. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I heard an interesting, I think it was a TED Talk with Elizabeth Gilbert, the, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, who was talking all about the idea of genius and how yeah. genius, um, a, as we sort of think about it, is so tied to ego um, and, and oh, sort yeah. of the, the historical roots of that come from the Greeks where it was it was thought to be a gift from the muses. You know what I mean? That that 
your personal gift, any kind of artistic gift you had wasn't yours. It wasn't about you as a person. It was about this sort of external supernatural force that was bestowing itself upon you. And the minute you start thinking of something that way, it, it really divorces it from ego. You know, and it's yeah. just about everyone kind of coming together to create this thing and to shape this thing together. Um, and it can be really easy to lose sight of that, particularly in the in the heat of production. You know, there's so much else to worry about. But to me, that's kind of the grounding that that those conversations should always come back to is like, look, we can we can all be honest with each other and we can say what we think and everybody has their opinion. Those are probably going to differ. If you're in a fruitful collaboration, you're not going to agree about everything. That's what that's what leads to some really interesting work. Um but, you know, it, just not taking it personally and, and not making it about your own ego. Yeah, that's a really good point. Have you guys gotten better at cultivating those friendships? I mean, at this point, you know, you know, you, you know who you know. So it's like, but, you know, finding new people or meeting new people. Is there a, you know, can you, you can feel that at hello? Sometimes. I mean, I feel like um, especially in this industry, there's a lot of ego. There, there's oh, just yeah. everywhere. And um I just know that I don't want to work with someone who's super egotistical because it, it, it just gets in the way of the process. Um, but I mean, the cool thing about living in New York and, and doing this is that you do meet a lot of people. There's a lot of people. A lot of people here. <laughs> and I, the coolest thing ever is like seeing a new performer that you're like, oh my gosh, I just want to work with that person. Like a couple of the people that like do demo, actually are two demo singers for Vampirina um, are people that we saw perform somewhere and we were like this is this person is awesome and i know this person can do our demos in a show or like a cabaret or one of them like a- I, was i'll just give her a name out name shout out haven burton i saw her like you know seth rudetsky does that like playbill yeah. thing haven burton did this one where she's saying um part <laughs> of your world part of your world this crazy weird version of it where like she like doesn't have legs or something <laughs> it's hard to explain but i saw that and i was like yeah. google it I, google it. it's really funny and, and i was like her voice sounds like a bell like she is so gorgeous and she just has this amazing i was like i know she's the kind of voice that i want for this demo for vampirina because like it's just like she's like she is a disney princess she just sounds like it um and then this other uh greg what's greg's last name hildreth greg <laughs> hildreth. hildreth oh my god he's gonna kill me <laughs> greg hildreth um we saw him recently well it actually wasn't that recent what was that show they did at roundabout um that country sort of show Leslie Kritzer was in it too. I can't remember what it was. Uh, I saw him in Peter and the Starcatcher. I think was. Oh, I saw him Peter and Starcatcher years ago. But like it was around the time that we were like starting this Vampirina journey. Yeah. Uh, that I saw him do this super charactery um, performance, and I was like, I just went home to Chris and I was like, I think like Greg can do all these character voices that we need to do for these demos. So like I, that is the coolest thing about the city. There's so many talented people and. You know, sometimes I just like it, the the voiceover demos that we do for Vampirina are so like specific. It's just like they have to be super duper clear, like piano, vocal. Um, actually, we do fully orchestrated demos. Fully for, orchestrated for, for Disney. We kind of have learned that like we need to show that sparkle and shine immediately because sometimes people who wear a suit to work and are executives don't have the imagination that we do in the theater. Don't yeah. they? Don't know that like what it will be or what it can be. Of course. Um, but it's such yeah. a specific thing like that we just knew we needed like people who had such amazing musicality, but also a versatility to cover these roles, um, as we're making demos. But anyway, you were asking about meeting people. I'm just saying like, yeah. there's so many cool people to meet. And you, so, when you find your tribe of people that you just love working with, you tend to just keep hiring them, you know? Yeah. Do you guys enjoy the, do you guys enjoy the guidelines, you know, of having to create for someone else? I mean, it's a mixed bag, right? You enjoy creating your own stories and you're also creating for, you know, uh, you know, a company that wants a particular product, but do you enjoy the challenges of staying in the lane? Absolutely. I think a lot of times those sort of restrictions are inspiring in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, obviously we love creating things that, that we're the drivers of and that have, that have sprung from our imaginations. Um, but it oftentimes is a, a neat challenge to have to write something that, that someone else sort of conceived of and, and is looking for something very particular. You know, those sorts of assignments force you to flex muscles that you might not flex as a writer otherwise. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's also such a fun idea that certain characters, especially within Disney, 
only say a certain amount of things. You know, there's a certain pattern of speech that they will not. It just doesn't. It goes against the grain of who the character is. So that really have to stay in a cadence of speech mm-hmm. <laughs> can be challenging. Vampirina, what was the what was the inception of that? Who 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 found who? How did that come about? We were actually doing so. It goes back a little bit further. So our Vampirina was created by this amazing showrunner named Chris Nee, who also created Doc McStuffins, which is two of Familiar. the yeah two of the <laughs> like really successful Disney Channel shows uh, for young kids. Um, but we didn't meet her until a couple years a uh, couple years ago. Essentially, we had we were doing a, a workshop of the noteworthy life of Howard Barnes at NAMT, and um, one of the Disney executives. Was there and saw our work and he was like you guys should audition for our shows. We auditioned for a bunch of shows Um, We didn't get them and then we finally got this one the Vampirina and so we were hired for this show and it you know it just changed our life and It was just cool. I mean Vampirina is about a a girl who a vampire who moves from Transylvania to Pennsylvania and tries to fit in. So it's a it's Adorable. a show. Yeah, it's a show about like differences. It's a show about accepting people for who they are. It's a show about like, uh, you know, your heritage and your culture and how much you keep and how much you take uh, from the new place you go. It's it, there's so many and it's just you know about accepting yourself for who you are and accepting your friends for who you are. It's, there's all these like wonderful like ideas baked into it, um, but there's also you know they're vampires. So there's a certain amount of like theatricality to it, which kind of was perfect for us because we are musical theatra writers um but yeah it was just cool i mean it's honestly we've written 150 songs for this show and it's just yeah it's just been so awesome because you just learn a lot about your writing when you when you write 150 songs um especially like i would be like you know what I am writing the same chord progression that I wrote in song number 17. And I need to push myself to write something different and more interesting than that. Song you know? 142. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you, you see kind of where you're repeating yourself a little bit when you're, when you're, especially when you're having to write that many songs in sort of a, a small period of time. Um, it, it's easy to fall in your same traps, like it's, but yeah. it's, it's harder to push yourself to do something different and do something better and do something outside of your comfort zone, which is sort of how I used Vampirina. As a, at a certain point, I was like, I want to find a new way to write in this world, you know, yeah. as a way of pushing myself. Do, uh, now, they never do get empty, but the creative tanks, so to speak, when they get empty or you feel like they're empty, are, do you do anything in particular to spark creativity, take a walk, listen to something, you know, shake it up? Yeah, I, I like to get outside and, and take a walk and clear my head or, or just listen to music that's entirely different phone. with yeah. whatever we're, we're working on or, or to watch um, to watch something. You know, I think you can look for inspiration in a lot of different places. Yeah. Reading, I think, always helps too. Yeah, but like nonfiction, fiction, anything. It's I read mostly fiction. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I I generally just like we just take a break or we just like end for the day. There's been a couple days writing for Vampirina where we're like, we're I don't know if I can come up with a better idea right now. Like I'm just done for the day, and so we'll just have to write tomorrow (laughs) and thankfully we're able to sometimes do that just like just stop and just like not I I think the best thing to do is just not think about it for a little bit you know think about something completely different Um, also but also like Stephen Schwartz had this really amazing quote that I heard a couple years ago that was like there's no such thing as writer's block what the actual thing is is your editor brain is too strong you're like you're saying you're you're being too hard on yourself which is in some ways true in the sense of like just write something and if trust that you're you'll be able to craft or edit it tomorrow in a way you know like just write something get it out and then reassess tomorrow like if it's a piece of crap then just throw it out or but if it's maybe there's an uh, like a, an iota of good things within it that you can say you know that was a good hook so i'll keep that hook and then i'll change the verse and chorus you know what i mean i do know exactly what you mean and i've found that a few times writing i'll just write what seems like throw up words mm-hmm. and then go back and i'm like oh well there's some good in there yeah there's something we can edit this so it's grammatically yeah. correct yeah 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 <laughs> totally totally uh, looking towards the future 
Do you guys, are you guys setting goals? Have you guys set goals? Do you set goals? What are you looking towards? We often set goals. We, we like we to make goals that. for ourselves, okay. um, long-term and short-term, and then try to cross them off the list. It's really, really satisfying to cross something off of a list. I find that's one of the best feelings in the world. So um, <laughs> I, I think we're both very goal-driven people, and, and we like to push ourselves. Um, so it's helpful to, to lay out specific goals. Even if you don't end up meeting all of them, You know, striving for that is always going to gonna be productive in some way or other oh yeah oh 100 totally yeah i mean we we have recently just started like a google doc where we're just like what's our goal this month what's our goal this year where do we want to be in five years um just because it's so easy to get like caught up in the fray and just to not i i just think it's better i think we're we're just more effective and better entrepreneurs in in a sense if we're just like writing like okay we want to write a full length musical before december so that we can send it out to workshops in the spring or something yeah. like that or you know like we want to write a new song a week for the next month or something like that so that i don't know we just try just trying to do that and hold ourselves accountable you know yeah yeah it's always good to have a destination totally so, you know and it's okay if it changes but to totally. head towards that is so so smart uh, what are you guys, what are you consuming, you know, when you're not consuming your own creations? What are you watching movies, you're reading, you're listening? My favorite thing these days is the Spotify recommended playlist. Like I, so basically yeah. I've been trying to like game the system of Spotify and like, like, like all the things that I really like go and follow the artists that I've been listening to for like 20 years or like my favorite artists and then liking all of my favorite songs in hopes that Spotify will recommend some amazing songs to me and I am yeah. just loving it. I love discovering new music and it, I, it is like my favorite thing right now to it's, like, it's constantly surprising you. Yes, totally. Okay. Like I, I, I'm just, I'm obsessed with discovering new artists and new songs that I love that I haven't heard of. That's great. That's really great. I wish I could say theater first and foremost, um, <laughs> which obviously, you know, I consume as much theater as, as possible, but right now, I just feel like we're in a golden age of television and I, I love nothing truth. more than, than just immersing myself in, in the binge watching of a, a TV show. I feel like there's so much good content out there. Yeah. Um, and I, I just love TV right now. I think that there's really, really interesting, exciting stuff happening in TV. And it's, it's fascinating to see what sort of the Netflix model has done to television, what it's opened up and allowed for, uh, I think is really thrilling. Are you on like the crime dramas or any of those? I mean, there's so many police shows right now, but anything else too? I mean, there's tons. I, yeah, I, I I run the gamut. I, I watch a lot. I watch a lot of TV. Sadly, <laughs> um, but I'm not sad about it. I'm 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 not. Uh, You're a little. I'm sad proud. About it. I'm proud of how much television I watch. Um, I mean, I usually am three to four years behind everyone else because I like to wait until. I know something is good after like 20 people have recommended it to me. Okay. So that way there's already five seasons that I can, yeah. you know, just lose my life to. Um, so I just finished uh, Fleabag was the thing I, I would say okay. I was most excited by that I that I just watched, which I, I feel like is also makes me feel good because it, it started out in the theater. So, okay, great. yeah, great. I just did that with um, The Sopranos, wow. although 20 years late to the game on that one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it all makes sense because now I've watched you know Game of Thrones and it's like oh I see what they do I see the I see the the pattern how that changed TV mm. yeah. why that was a big deal mm. so but it's good that's homework that's research so it's, it's not a bad thing that's the yeah. I think that's the worst thing that's ever happened to me in terms of being a writer was the day I realized I could write off watching television as a research you know <laughs> the minute you can justify that to yourself it's really dangerous oh my goodness. This is great. Guys, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks it's for having us. Of course, of course. Final question as we wrap up. Um, billboard quote. You know, metaphorically speaking, a word or a phrase that you'd put on a billboard for millions of people to see. Does anything come to mind? I have a one that I think of a lot, but I so fail at this all the time. Sort of my like little mantra is like have a have a clear head and a kind heart. But I always yeah. fail. But keep remembering. Yeah. I mean, to keep reminding yourself of yeah. that. It's really, that's, I yeah. like that. Thank you. Yeah. I would say there's a quote I read in, in a novel recently that really resonated with me and, and stuck with me ever since. And it's, the stupid human heart couldn't help but hope. I just love that sentiment so much. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, without hope, what do yeah. you have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hope for the and future. it seems it seems sometimes to be so illogical to do so. I think particularly with where we are in the world right now. But yeah, that's what that's what being human is. You know what I mean? It's finding that hope amidst oh, yeah. everything else that's going on around you. Keeping it alive. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's beautiful. Guys, is there anything else you want to add to this before we wrap on up? Have thank we, you. I think oh, you've, you. you've hit everything. You've hit everything that we want to hit. Great. I love it. This has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you, you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Michael Kuman and Chris Diamond. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.